You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we've got none other than Orlan Jackman. Uh, he has played all over the place um, and is currently a forward for the... Um, trying to think of the name silent kestrels who have obviously been absolutely dominant in division one but prior to that has spent time uh, a lot of time in uh, different teams across the bbl um but also abroad in germany uh portugal uh, and maybe somewhere else as well um but yeah fascinating story uh yeah lot, lots to, to kind of to discuss in his journey one of the first players um, that I heard of, one of the first British players that I heard of getting stung by the um, NCAA eligibility rules. So his college career ended up being uh, a bit all over the place uh, in terms of trying to trying to find somewhere where he would have the options to be able to play. Um, so it's really kind of yeah cool to kind of talk about his journey uh, that he's been on, uh, his basketball career uh, so far, the places that he's played, the things that he's done, uh, the successes that he's had, and kind of uh, what his hopes are for the future. So yeah, it's really really cool conversation and someone uh, who obviously I I feel a close affinity to because I've followed his career so closely. Um, you know when I started Hoops Fix, uh, he was in college I think, uh, and then kind of seen him turn pro and kind of seen the the progression um, from there so yeah great story and really enjoyed doing it I'm sure you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed recording it as always before we get into the show uh, please take two seconds to check out our Patreon account patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s-f-i-x there you can sign up to give us a monthly or annual contribution of as much or as little as you like literally the price of a cup of coffee the price of a sandwich you won't even notice the amount of money uh, leaving your account but it goes a long way in helping us do the, what we're trying to do uh, grow this British basketball media landscape so please go and check it out patreon.com uh, forward slash hoopsfix as always, uh, let me know what you think in the comments below if you watch on YouTube. Uh, you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at Hoopsfix. Or if you prefer some one-on-one interaction, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com. I try one. I do reply to every uh, single one. Anyway, that is enough from me. Uh, here is this week's show with Orlan Jackman. Orlan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Like uh, just before we start recording, we're doing some reminiscing because uh, yeah, you're one of the, one of the guys that um, I feel like my journey has been very closely aligned with in the sense of these eleven or so years that I've been running around uh, doing this British basketball thing. Uh, your career has been on a sort of um, well, it's been your entire career at the same time, college and then and then obviously off to the states and then and then in the pros. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that obviously I don't know about your career, and so that's part of like part of today is trying to trying to get into all of that. And I think the the place that I always like to start is the beginning, um, and asking kind of your early years in basketball, what it was that uh, first made you pick up a ball and actually start playing. Um, it was PE, really. Um, I went to Homerton House. I call it Homerton College of Technology um, in Hackney. Um, playing PE and. The coach at the time, well, the PE teacher at the time, and Mr. Richard Fergus was like, I think you could have a decent career in this sport. And I was like, yeah. Um, I'd seen his uncle walking around school a few times and I knew he was into basketball. That was the, the great, the late great Joe Wyatt. And he always told me that you look like you could play basketball. And then when Richard said it, I was like, all right, cool, let's try it. And then I, I don't know how many people I've told this, but my first ever uh, practice session for basketball, I was rebounding for a guy called Turan. Um, not many people know who Turan is unless you're from the Tottenham, North London area. 
and I just rebounded for him for about 40 minutes and then I was like is this all, all I have to do and I think that's where I actually learned how to be a, a half decent rebounder just from that one session learning how the ball bounces off the ring if it's going to be short from early and all of that kind of like I wouldn't say I was Dennis Rodman because he's an amazing rebounder but I understand how he thinks about rebounding. So, so how old were you at this point when, when you first started playing? Maybe 14, 15, 14, 15. Um, that's my first ever practice session. I did. After that, I took a few months off because um, I just, I wasn't hooked, hooked, but it was like that. And then I did a maths test with uh, Richard again. I passed the math test and he gave me some shoes. And later that day, I went to go play football in those basketball shoes. And then I thought, all right, let me, let me repay what he's given me, the shoes, with some actual time and, and effort. And that's when I started really playing. Wow. So those uh, uh, early basketball sessions, like what, what are your memories of those sessions? And, you know, of course, like that, uh, you know, Homerton, uh Hackney, that kind of area is known for you know producing a lot of talent. Who who were the guys that kind of I guess when you were starting out, you were looking up to um, that were the stronger players in the area. Um, the guy who I was looking up to the most when I first saw him play, I thought he was like the London version of MJ. Is a guy called Juju Bola, and I like I went to so I would practice at Hummerton, then go to Parkview Academy. And I would see Juju playing, like messing around before the younger practices, which was mine, um, was the under 16. So I would practice and then I'll stay around after too to watch the under 18s because I wanted to get as much knowledge as I could as soon as possible. So I thought I wasn't ready to play with them. So I would watch them to see what they do, which is different. I, at that time, I thought they were a lot more physical, they were faster. Um, the basketball was just zipping around but Juju he just remained in control the whole time shooting the three crossing over people making people fall dunking on people posting up mid-range like I said I thought he was the London version of MJ Do you feel like you had a natural affinity for basketball? Did you have a natural ability for it or do you feel like you had to put in a lot of hours to kind of develop your skill set? With anything you have to put in a lot of hours. They say 10,000 hours and then you're a professional or whatever it is. So I reckon I put in my hours as well as having a passion for it. So it wasn't really putting in hours. It was doing something that I enjoy. So I didn't see it as putting in hours, but I reckon I had a knack for rebounding and then everything else I had to work on. And then what was the state of uh, sort of, I guess, London basketball? Uh, you know, you in terms of the competitions that you were playing in like was it junior national league was it just schools basketball like kind of uh yeah what was the the lay of the land and um what different levels were you playing at so at that time there was schools basketball but we never Hummerton didn't have a team because it was just really me in my year a year above was uh paul guade patrick mackey for a little bit um laddie laddie brown so they had a team but my year it was just me and a few few gangsters who I won't say because <laughs> who knows where they are now. Um, 
so we didn't play English school. We just played National League. Um, we were in the Southern Division. That was Hackney White Heat. So we would play at a part of your academy, um, traveling up and down the country. Them times there, I hadn't really left London. So we were going up to Durham, going to Bristol, going all over the place, which really broadened my horizon, just being, just being from London. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's only National League, really, the Southern, Southern Premier. Have you got any standout memories from your junior uh, National League career, whether it's your own personal performances or, or guys you were going up against and seeing other, you know, from the competition? I don't really remember if I'm honest. Nah. It, was, it, it all blurs into one because of the amount of training that I did. So actually, I do have one standout memory. We went to Durham and Richard didn't like the way the, rich, uh, the referees were officiating. Folk were getting robbed um, to the point where in the, at the end of the fourth quarter, he made us all stand up on the sideline. Like the game was out of reach. We, were lo- we lost. Uh, we were losing and the game was out of reach. So he stood up on the sideline, let them lay it up, took the five-second count, let them lay it up, took the five-second count, let them lay it up until the game ended. Good. And Richard was just fuming. He was the whole entire game, that whole entire let's say, 20-second period, he was cussing out the referees. <laughs> what, what, uh, like, do you, obviously, those were formative years in terms of, in terms of, uh, well, not just your, your basketball, but also your own sort of personal development stuff. Um, are there kind of like uh, key lessons that stick out in your mind of things that, whether it's basketball taught you or Rich taught you? Um, I don't know, how, how much did you deal with, with Joe White? Not very much, because that was um, the last few years of him battling cancer so um i felt the love because once i joined the club everybody was um everybody welcomed me in um i got to meet a few legends like pops um uh drew and all of these guys drew sullivan sorry um and they kind of explained to me who he was and what he had done for them um other guys who I'm close to right now, like uh, Laurent Irish and Perry Lawson, we talk almost daily. And he's he's um, Joey's Earl's uncle. So he would tell me stories and we would link up um, most of what we did this year for his anniversary and we'll have a few drinks and the stories will come out flying. So I've learned a lot from a lot of second-hand information about how great Joe was. I've seen him around school, how much respect he had from other teachers and the students. He was just a, a big presence. But personally, dealing with him, I didn't have much interaction with him now. So what was uh, your progression from from there? Like, you know, in your mind, were you like, okay, the goal is to get to the States. That's the first step. Like, um, when did that start becoming like a, I guess, a, a thing in your mind, if it did? Um, and then, yeah, kind of what happened? So, my the goal to go to the States really started when I went to Hackney Community College. That's when the goal to get to the States started. But before that, I was putting in the hours. So, I would go to Hummerton training, where it was just like four or five people. And we're just working on rebounding, shooting, kind of basic skills. Then I would get on the bus, either the, the 149, 
and I'll go straight into Tottenham. No, I would go one four nine, and then another bus to go to Parkview Academy, and then I'll do the under sixteen training there, and then after a while I will go and do the under eighteens, and then after a while I will do the men's. So, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays. I ended up doing let's say seven hours after school practice. Wow. So, and I would get home and I'd be knackered. My yeah. mom would like, oh, where were you? I was like, I was playing basketball. She was like, okay, as long as you're doing something, that's, that's okay. And then, so I would do seven hours there. That's 14. Let's not, let's not include the games. So 14 hours a week, just practicing skills and trying to become better. And then, as you as you grow up in basketball, you learn more about basketball and learn more about the countries and learn more about who, who's who and where you want to go and try to kind of map out your own career. So that's when I started watching the NBA and I realised that America is the place to be. So I wanted to get to America by any means necessary. Um, I then trialled for the under-18s England team at the first year group. So they do the 16-17 and 17-18. I was in the 16-17 year group. I didn't make it. I was vexed. I used that to try and get me, to try and feed the anger or feed the passion. The next year I made it, um, the head coach was Jeff Jones, I believe. Um, and we went to the, the national, or the European Championships. We became fourth, I believe. Yeah, we came fourth. We lost to Portugal in the third, fourth playoff. Um, Your generation is quite a talented one, isn't it? Who, who was on that England team? On that England team, it was Dan Clark. He's 88. Adam Jarami. Older brother of Aaron Jarrell, he plays for Manchester. He's 88. Ashley Hamilton, yeah. who's at Plymouth, he's 88. Devin Bailey, I think. I'm not too sure, actually. I'm not too sure if Devin was there, but I think he was. Devin Bailey. I'm not sure if Menelik made the final team, but I know he was in the training camp. Um, Stuart Thompson. Yeah, I mean, it's a talented group, for sure. I'm try, trying to think of who else, because I remember Stuart Thompson won the Sherbrooke Dunk Contest, so I know he was there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know there's going to be some guys upset that I missed out. We can come, can come back if they, if they, if they come up. So you, yeah. you, you can't. So you did, you did the Europeans, uh, and yeah, like kind of the states. Yeah, that came when you when you got to Hackney. Uh, how did the move came come about? Like, what was the process of actually getting you across the pond? So, at the Europeans, I met a guy called Rob. A lot of people will know Rob through Grand Canary. Rob Ariana, yeah. Yes, and he put me in contact with a guy from California. The guy from California was like, "I trust Rob with with everything." here's an I-20, you go get it sorted. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? 
researched it, looked it up on Google, and I was like, all right, this was after, I think it's my second year at HGC. So I got my stuff, got the I-20, packed my bags, and went over to California, San Diego. Well, above San Diego, a small town called Carlsbad. And that, that was prep school, right? Yes. And what was that? Is it, yeah, what was that like as an experience? Like you know, going from going from London to to California. Well, first of all, as much as a culture shock as I thought it would be, it wasn't really a culture shock. The thing that I was scared about the most was crossing the road. <laughs> was we're taught what we taught right, left, right when you cross the road. What do you mean right? I, I like I, which way you yeah. look. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I did that. I nearly got hit from the left side. Car speeded. I thought the zebra crossings don't mean the same thing. This is that was the main culture shock, not really the actual city. And that. But yeah, um, playing over there, there were some skilled guys, but I work. I, I feel as though I worked harder than a lot of them because they had been playing basketball their whole life, so they just didn't have that hunger yet. They didn't maintain that hunger, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's how I thought about it. And I just felt as though I worked. I worked harder than them. I had a, a 25-23 game at high school, um, 25 points, well, 25 rebounds, 25 points. Like, there's no way I should be getting 25 rebounds. <laughs> I, I didn't feel anyway, but I did in that game. Yeah. Yeah, probably my first and only 2020 game. <laughs> were your numbers were your numbers at uh, at high school good? They were all right. They were all right. Um, from an unknown, oh, in my high school league, there's um, a famous Leicester Rider player, Tyler Bernardini. <laughs> really? So I played against Tyler a couple of times. He went to high school called Park, I think it was. Yeah, um, played against him a couple of times. He was going to Penn State then, I think, or the main Penn, I can't remember. Yeah. The main University of Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania State, I can't remember which one. Um, so I was going up against D1 guys that had signed already. Um, there was another another dude, I forget his name. But he was going to some school in Malibu, a D1 school in Malibu. What's the Oh, I should have made notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, did, did, for you personally, did you start getting interest from colleges and stuff like that? Like, kind of, how was the the actual uh, recruiting process? The school was called Pepperdine, but yeah, um, <laughs> I started getting interest from a lot of JUCOs because California Junior College system is different from the the rest of the America. Okay, um, if you've watched uh, Last Chance U, you would understand that. I haven't actually seen that yet. That's on the to watch list. Oh, yeah, no, I haven't. Yeah. Well, it's, what's, it's what's, the diff- what's the differences? It, they just have their own their own thing. So there's the NJCAA, yeah. which is the National Junior College, and then they have the California Junior College. Oh, I think I have seen that. I do think that we've had yeah. some some British guys potentially playing playing that competition. But yeah, go on. So I had a, I had a few I had a lot of interest from them. I had a, interest from a couple of D twos in some UC D twos, um, but because of what I had learned, I just wanted to go D one. 
and I had no G1 offers. So I was like, I'll go back home. I'll learn, I'll get bigger, learn my trade a bit more. And then I'd probably get a D1 offer that way, which is what I did. I came back home. Um, Signed with Manchester, right? Signed with Manchester because of the Jeff Jones link from the national team. And that Manchester team was stacked. People say that, but we had uh, Stefan Gill, Tana Adu, me, um, <sighs> Stephen Gale. Yeah. Some Americans. So I don't know if it was stacked, but we had what we had. We won everything, so maybe it was stacked. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the interesting thing is, like, what, what made you think that? Because normally it's the opposite where people think, I have to get to the States to get the exposure to be able to get the looks to college, right? But obviously in your mind, you're like, okay, to get a D1, I'm going to go back to England and there I'll be able to do what I need to do to be able to get the look that I'm, I'm looking for. Like, What made you think that actually being in England would put you in a position to get the scholarship that you were looking for? Because um, I would have been able... Well, I would have gone to like a Manchester and worked on my craft diligently day in, day out. I would have had gym access. I would have just been working, working, working. Whereas in America, I feel as though I didn't have anybody. So I would have been there probably enjoying life, not knowing, all right, this is where you go to work out. And these are the people you need to be in contact with to help you get to the next level. Whereas in England, I knew I had that. So I tried to remove the distractions. Being in Southern California is a distraction in itself. <laughs> yeah, for real. So... I removed the, the distractions. I went to Manchester. So I knew I would have gym access all the time. I knew there would be good guys like Stefan Gill, who's a workhorse. You've seen Stefan now. He's still working. Um, and I trusted Jeff Jones. Do you feel like you improved your game a lot that year? I felt as though I did. I became more aware of my body and what I could use to my advantage. So I knew I was a rebounder. I knew I could shoot it not good. So I worked on that, started shooting it. I knew when my shots were going to be short, so I ran after my rebound, my own rebounds. So I got a lot of rebounds with my own shots. I knew I, could, I was pretty explosive, so I worked on my post moves. Whereas in America, they if they see you as one thing, they just want you to work on that one thing. If they see you as a, as a post presence, they want you to get big and beef up and become a post player. If they see you as a guard, they want to work, just work on your handles. There's not many guys that have the coach that will work with them to do both. Yeah. Because they're all about winning yeah. and not so much player development. So then... You did that year, it comes to trying to get back out to the States. You obviously wanted the Division One offer. What ended up happening? So I wanted to go to D1. And I knew if I didn't have no offers, I would need exposure. So I thought, all right, let me go to Juco. Because that's the route that I would have gone if I was in Manchester. I mean, if I was in uh, California. So up steps up. Another guy who was on the team, and I missed him out. I apologize. Dunkel 
Duncan Ogilvy, Dio training. Um, Do training. These guys. Uh, this guy just won a, a world title. Yeah, that's cool. So he was like, well, my old coach, Coach Tom Mills, he's at a JUCO in Oklahoma. One of your guys that's there, one of your guys is there really there, um, Joe Kinwin. And I was like, I know Joe. We've had some battles in East London Royals against White Heat, so that would be cool to already go there and know somebody. So I'll do that. He was like, I've seen your game tape. I've done some research about you. You seem like you're a stand-up guy. I will want you on our program. And I was like, ah, cool. Um, send over the I-20. I know what to do this time. Did it. Went over there. Um, enjoyed it. Played hard. Um, we knocked off a couple of ranked Jucos. And then once I was out there, I got privy to a to some game like so apparently JUCOs are allowed to pay for your flights to and from home okay without breaking eligibility rules so I got them to pay for my flights hopefully people watching this now they could do the same thing but yeah at that time it was 08 08 yeah they were allowed to pay for flights so pay for my flights, um, started working in the library and in the gym to get some extra pocket money to do, just to do things outside of school. And Juco was a lot. They say Juco ball is the toughest. And I, I want to agree, but some of the toughest players that you've never heard of will be in Juco. Why? Why is that? Is that because they're not eligible to go to go elsewhere, or like, yeah, like what's the, what's the reason? Behavior and school grades. Yeah. So you'll see some of the toughest guys there, but yeah, will not lie to you. How, how much of a difference did it make having Joe there with you? Uh it was amazing having Joe there with me. Uh, we we made a a friendship that to this day, like when the season ends. He'll come and check me or I'll go check him at his house or he'll come to my house and we'll just talk about the old times. We'll talk about what we used to do in Oklahoma, which will stay in between us. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of stories that I will say. Um, just London slang, like we'll be talking about people. That's why I'm weary about whenever people are speaking in their language around me because they could be talking about me because... I've done the same thing speaking English around English speakers. <laughs> and we just get it. It's just it was just fun. It's like he knew what I was on, I knew what he was on. It was just fun. Yeah. So you did you did you do one year at, at Seminole State? Or two? Nah, yes, I did one year playing. Yeah. The second year I broke my foot. Okay. So what in, po- like, what point did all game. in the second game? So you missed that whole season? Yeah. Yeah, I redshirted that whole season. Injury redshirt. Or okay. medical redshirt, sorry. Yeah. And then the plan was then to be able to take that second year of uh, your eligibility at JUCO the year after that. Take the second year of eligibility at JUCO or, depending on what offers I had, take three years at a D1. Okay. And and what ended up happening? 
So I had a few offers from D1 schools, Stephen F. Austin, because we had a a guy who signed from Stephen F. Austin came to our Juco the second year. We had a few D2s, so, uh, UCO in Oklahoma, um, D, a couple D1s, Tennessee State. Um, so in my head, I thought, all right, I might not be eligible because my school shut down. My secondary school shut down and I can't get my GCSE grades. But I've got my college GMVQs and A1s because it's A1s and A2s to make the full A-levels. Yeah. So I've got those, but I won't be able, I won't be able to get my GCSE grades because... The institution, the Homerton College of Technology, was shut down, blown up, rebuilt, and it's a whole new school. So they probably wouldn't have my records at the new school. So I thought, let me go to a D2 school. So I signed with a D2 school called Newman Jets, Newman University in uh, Wichita, Kansas. So throughout this whole process, I was going through the, the NCAA eligibility center. They were asking for this, asking for that. What were you doing there? What were you doing there? So it turns out, because when I was in Manchester, I didn't go to school. That's when my four years had started. Right. So California, Seminole, Seminole, one year left. Wow. And I was like, okay, that's how it works. You guys have screwed me. Yeah. I was like, ah, it is what it is. I could either cry and be upset or figure out a way around it. So NCAA D1 route was shut off. Then somebody from a school called Oklahoma City University, which is NAI Division One, hit me up. This whole time I was in Oklahoma, Matt Gaiman was in at Oklahoma City University. Okay. Winning national championships. And he was telling me about it. So I heard about it. Um, Matt Gaiman, who is my coach right now, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I, do you know what? I never actually thought about that. That's mad. That's mad. Uh, yeah, mad. Yeah. mad uh, yeah, that's crazy. Go on. So we, we would chat every now and again. We tried to link up, but seminars in the middle of nowhere. And it, when you're in Oklahoma City, you're not going to go to the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So I don't blame him too much. Um, so they were like, yeah, Matt Gaiman was here. We won two national championships back to back. He's got he's got a ring. He showed me his ring and like, yeah, I went on a visit. And I thought, I could sign here. They were like, yeah, we could offer you. You could redshirt the first year because I spent the first semester in Kansas. Okay. And they were like, yeah, you could redshirt the first year and play two full years. And that would have taken me to 2013. Yeah, I know, I know. Look at the notes. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to work out the timelines. <laughs> yeah, go, carry on, go on. That would have taken me to 2013 graduation. Yeah. So, so this is September 2010. To December 2010 
And then I moved from Kansas to Oklahoma City in January of okay. 2011. Okay. Intending to redshirt. So we had a practice. Um, I just arrived. I had time to eat. But they took me to my apartment. For those who know about Oklahoma City University, Cokesbury, shout out to Junior Williams. He went there too. Um, yeah, we, I stayed in Cokesbury, apartment 214, with the international students, as I was an international student. So it was me and some some Arab guy who had Arab money. He was crazy. He used to do a lot of things, but that's for another time. Um, so the next day we went to practice, and I kid you not, I don't know if people have had these practices when they just don't miss. I had a practice where I didn't miss. I didn't miss. At the end of practice, the coach was like, yep, you're not going to redshirt this year. If you could play anything like that, you're not redshirt. I was like, I hope you realize, yeah, this was a really good practice. <laughs> I'm not that kind of shooter. I, I don't come off screens and hit freeze while being contested. Nah. Um, shout out to the guy who was guarding me, Nate Flowers. Um, he was mad. He was really mad because I came in and took his starting spot. Oh, wow. Um, so you did yeah, a redshirt was, and you played that season? Yes. So I started playing from January. Okay, so you did half a season. Half of a season. And that was 2011 to 2011. And then the next season, I stayed in Oklahoma for the summer. Yeah. Because they had the facilities. I knew where I had to go. But they had released the coach. And a new coach came in called Dion Phelps. He was at OU. He was um, assistant coach at OU. So he came in and we worked out the whole summer, the whole summer. I got, I got beefy too because I was just eating tuna and chicken. <laughs> I was cooking, but it was just mainly tuna and chicken. Yeah. I got up to about two fifty. Really? I don't know what that. I don't know what that is now. Um, in 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 stones, I weigh about two thirty five now, so I was heavier then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I lost the weight through pre-season conditioning, got down to about 225. Um, and that year was a fun year. Um, we were ranked nationally. We were top 20 in the nation. We beat number three, number five, number seven. Um, well, we didn't make the national tournament because we lost in the, I think it's the semi-finals of conference. Tournament, And yeah. because we... Yeah, and we wasn't nationally ranked then, and we didn't get uh, a bid, uh, a small bid. Yeah. So, see, uh, college was over. College career was over. Um, well, what were your highlights from college? I remember there was there's one you had a crazy dunk. Do you remember that? That's on YouTube somewhere. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. I put it on YouTube at that point. You you put it on YouTube. You put it on YouTube. That's yeah. that's yeah. Um, I, got, I think that may have been my my junior year. Okay. Got a rebound, went or oh, I got a pass, went coast to coast, and I don't know why he tried to take a charge, but 
God bless him. He tried to take a charge. <laughs> <laughs> Got Just absolutely posterized. Yeah, that was that was a yeah that yeah. was a, a, a nasty one. What were the other sort of stand up memories from kind of college? Like, do you feel like your college career was was very much, um, I guess, kind of never did what you wanted to do because of all the eligibility issues always trying to sort it out trying to find somewhere to go like trying to get around the NCAA stuff like uh, was that like a real negative experience for you or, or do you feel like you were just like oh you just got on with it I mean it wasn't picture perfect but I made it something I made something out of nothing yeah so um, I could have I could have shut down and just quit but I'm not really a quitter so I didn't quit I just tried to find a different route to get to where I wanted to be. Um, and that was to play basketball, make a lot of money and help my community. That's what I wanted to do. When I first started, I should have said this in the beginning, I wanted to play in the NBA, make a load of money, buy up some land in London, create youth clubs and youth hubs where kids could play basketball against each other. That's what I wanted to do. Wow. If I ever made it to the NBA. Um, kind of what what like Luau's doing in in Sudan and in the whole of Africa with the basketball Africa League. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to do on a very small scale in London. That didn't happen. So in my head, I'm trying to figure out a different way how to make something like that happen. So I wanted to play college basketball because that's the best way to get into the NBA in my head. I didn't know the European route. Yeah. I just knew college, draft, NBA. So that didn't work out. So I realized that there's other professional leagues. So after college, um, I signed with the London Lions. But that's another story in itself because I wanted to sign with the Manchester Giants because of Jeff Jones. Okay. I trusted him. He held out and held out and held out to the point where by then Lions had offered me twice already. Like, we got this for you, we got that for you. Was, said, it, nah, was, was this when Lions were at Crystal Palace? Yes, the okay. first, first move. They're like, nah, I'm holding out for something else, holding out for something else. Eventually, Jeff Jones was like, we just haven't got a contract for you. I said, all right, cool. Held out, and now I signed with the Lions for less money than they first initially offered me and the second time they offered me. Oh, wow. So I felt as though I had something to play. My first game was against Manchester. We lost, I think. Yeah, we lost on the buzzer. I think we, lost, we either lost on the buzzer or... Yeah, I think we lost on the buzzer. That year it was me, Teo, Perry, L, young Jordan Spencer. Um... Rod Brown came in later. Uh, who else was there? I think Ishmael Fontaine. Was Adrian Sturt there at that point? Stuart was there. Um, Mike Martin was there. I've got a funny story about him, but I saved that for when we finish. Okay. Uh, uh, Mike Martin. Um, yeah, I think that was... Oh. DJ, a guy, Dwayne James, who I still talk to now, cool guy from uh, Florida. He used to play at Leicester too. Um, yeah, and that was the team, I think. Um, did, did you feel like 
obviously, you've now you're in a situation where you've taken you've had to take the third offer, which is obviously considerably lower than the first and the second. Uh, was it a disappointment for you, like signing in London? Uh, like, obviously, as nice as it is to be back at home, it's like you know, there's always the whole thing about playing in the BBL, which I think has actually changed uh, in recent years. But but at that point, it was still very much a bit of a stigma around it, right? Um, and I'm assuming you had your eyes on ideally trying to go and play overseas somewhere. Yeah, I wanted to play in Europe. Um, but playing in the BBL, it wasn't really... I don't want to say it was... I didn't care about playing in the BBL, personally. I knew. In my head, if the league isn't bad, I will kill the league. I mean, if the league is bad, I will kill the league and use that to go somewhere else. If the league isn't bad, the games are going to be tough and I enjoy playing hard games. So... I started off like a bullet out of gun, playing hard. At one point, I think I was the leading scorer for the league. I'm not too sure. I didn't finish up the leading scorer, but I was the leading scorer for the league at one point. I think it was like December before I hurt my knee. So I was playing against Durham. We were in Durham, playing, playing, playing. It's overtime. I tried to do a Euro step. I felt something go in my knee. And I was like, that didn't feel too good. Let me tape up my leg and keep going. I sat back in. I just couldn't go. Um, I got an MRI. Turned out I had a partial tear. I partially tore my lateral meniscus in my knee. Doing that move. And uh, I had to, I could have surgery or I could rehab and just keep on. I mean, uh, surgery would have been four to six weeks. Rehabbing would have been two to four. So I chose to rehab because whenever you have surgery, you take something out, something else could happen. That's how I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to have surgery another t- second time. I already had surgery for my broken foot. So I didn't want surgery again. So I didn't have surgery. Um, once I got hurt, I think we didn't score as much, which is when Vince started to look at bringing somebody else in, uh, which is when he brought in Rod Brown. He brought in Rod Brown, Joel Barker's, and a big French guy, I forget his name. Nuno Pedroso was there too. Um, this big French guy played maybe two or three games. I've got a story about Nuno too. I saved his life. Um, I always tell him whenever, whenever we speak, every now and again, I saved his life. How did you save his life? So, I didn't really save his life. I just called it ambulance. But I'll explain the story anyways. <laughs> It's uh, like nine o'clock in the evening. Nuno's, Nuno's like, hey, OJ, man, something's wrong with me. I like, go to sleep, man. Because he's, he, he's a lot older than all of us. So you go to bed at like nine, ten, and then sleep from like, wake up early and work out and do your thing. It was like, I go to sleep, Nuno, man. Nothing's wrong with you. He's like, okay, OJ. He knocks on my door at one o'clock. It's like, OJ, oh, man. I feel like I'm dying. I like, feel like you're dying. All right, cool. Something's wrong now. <laughs> I call the ambulance. I go with him to the hospital. 
he had kidney stones. Oh, really? Yeah, he had kidney stones, so they gave him some medicine to pass the kidney stones. Um, and if anybody doesn't know what kidney stones is, apparently kidney stones is the closest pain a man could get to childbirth. Is that what they say? That's what they say. Wow. And so you saved his life? If he if he didn't if he didn't knock on my door and I called the ambulance, he would have been dead. He could die from it too. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not too sure, but that's what I say. Amazing. Yeah. So that um that summer of twenty thirteen, which was after that, so it was 2012-2013 you were with the Lions, right? That was your that was your rookie year? Uh yes. Yeah. So then in the summer of two thousand thirteen, that was your first call up to the GBC Men to training camp, right? Yes. And that was at St George's Park. That was the the flush, uh, pretty pretty plush facility. Oh yeah, they changed the indoor football stadium. Well, uh, yeah, the indoor football court. I guess it'll be a court, indoor pitch, where yeah, yeah. into two basketball courts. Um, that's when head coach Joel Pronty was there. Um, I got to play with guys from. A secondary school who I never thought I'd get to play against. Remember, I mentioned Paul Guaid. Okay. So I'm playing it with Paul Guaid now, and I'm thinking, rah. I remember, look, I think I told him this one time at airport. I, was, I remember looking up to you, like thinking, rah. If I ever get as good as Paul, I'll be, I'll be happy. Now we're playing on the in the same national team, training together. Wow. How was that? How was that experience? Did you feel like? Um... Because that was the transition period, like post post the Olympics, it was obviously Prunty was brought in. You know, a bunch of guys that had been the core of the squad for the however many years and around the Olympics, obviously had kind of uh, well wanted some time off and stuff. And then you know the next stage was uh, it was Eurobasket, wasn't it? Um, that that, was, yeah. that they were training for. Um, but yeah, like how, how was the whole experience, sort of getting that call up and and I guess uh, yeah, playing with those guys at, at training camp. The whole experience was amazing. Um, there was still a bit of money in the national team program. I think it's a bit more than it was than it has now, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, they got they'd got a little bit of extra. The funding had been cut and then it got reinstated. They'd, so they did have a little. Well, they definitely did because they mm-hmm. spent I don't know how however many tens of thousands to build a custom built basketball court in St George's Park, which wasn't even a basketball court. So <laughs> there you go, exactly. So um, that was fun. Um, I, I wish if I could do it. Differently, I think I would have not been so, I don't want to say aggressive with the head coach, but asking him so many questions. So there was a few games where I didn't play and I didn't suit up. So I I approached the head coach and was like, "Um, if I'm not going to suit up, could you let me know earlier? Or because I had family watching the game and I wanted them to see so I always say, whatever I do, I control my own destiny. I play hard, I play well, then the coaches pick me. If I don't play well, then the coaches won't pick me. Yeah. So I don't I don't blame anybody else or anything. So with that, I feel as though that was may have rubbed him the wrong way. I feel as though. But then he still, so we played Puerto Rico at the cover box. Mm-hmm. I didn't suit up for that game. The next day or the day after, we played him again behind closed doors. And I played in that game and I played really well. So off of the back of that game, 
I think they sent Gareth Murray home and a few other guys home and I made the final. I don't know if it was 12 or 15, but we went to Greece to play Greece. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. We went to the island of Crete and we played Greece. Um, I got in a few a few minutes there. Then we went to Poland, played Poland and I think we played Sweden there too. Yeah. And then I, f- I didn't get in either of those games. And then they cut me and brought Gareth back. Oh, wow. And yeah, and someone else. I can't remember. How was that to take for you? It was a tough boat to swallow. Um, well, I did get to represent my country, but I didn't get to represent him in the main, at the main stage. But it is what it is. I decided to just work harder. Um, after that, I decided to sign in Germany. Uh, fourth division, regional Liga, regional Liga, whatever they call it. Yeah. And pulled out, got MVP of the year. I think we may have lost one or two games. Got the team promoted to Pro B. Um, and funny thing about this, Ishmael Fontaine said something about this. He was like, yeah, guys like OJ going to the fourth division, taking a whole team up to the, to the professionals and doing a bunch of stuff. He said he looked up to me because he then did it. And Kofi Joseph did it too. Yeah. Uh, Jasper did it. And someone else did it. Jasper Chiruzzi. Yeah. Yeah. Miles, Miles was doing it while I was there. And that was one, that was the beginning of Miles' journey, I reckon, after Essex was in Germany. And then he got really good in Germany. Right. So I thought, I could do this too. So I brought one MVP of the year, got one to Pro B, smashed Pro B North. Or was it Pro B South? It was one of them. Smashed it. MVP again, import player of the year, MVP, all of that. We lost in the semifinals of the playoffs to... Was it It's a Hope? You lost to something, something. Yeah. And then I thought, all right, let me talk to them because we have the chance to go to Pro A. The team didn't feel the requirements for a Pro A team. The gym wasn't big enough and something else. So I thought, all right, natural progression is a Pro A team. Um, so was I was looking for a pro team. I had a um, an agent at the time, Mark Constantine. Constantine. Yeah, yeah, Mark Constantine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I told him I was going on holiday until August third. So let teams know that I'll be available after that time. I don't know what happened, but I had no offers after I just won MVP. I had no offers, so I thought. Me going on holiday could be the problem, but it could be also the agent. So I thought, forget that. Let me let go of him as an agent. Did that. And then up steps Midnight Madness. Yeah. 
So we went to Portugal with Midnight Madness. I think this is in September. Is it in September or August? I yeah, it remember. was late in the summer, I remember. Yeah, it was late so, in the summer, we went to Portugal. And Nama was like, hey, these guys, they they need a um, they need a scoring forward. You could be that scoring forward. So I get there. And one of the guys that I played Juco with is on the team. But this guy's a straight shooter. Straight shooter. He can get buckets. I remember my second my second year when I didn't play, he was there. He was getting buckets. Yeah. So I thought, all right, this is going to be fun. First game, I dropped 30. A very efficient 32. Yeah. Um, then they were like, right, listen, we want to sign you. You'll get rid of the, uh, the American. Your former teammate. Your, your, <laughs> yeah. And we'll sign you right now. I was like, okay. But then Nano said, there's other teams in the league that want to sign you too. Okay. But me being the person that I am, I came to try out with this team. So I'm not going to then go sign with another team. That's just how I am. Like, with the Jeff Jones situation, I, I try to be loyal to the people. Yeah, I know. yeah. You value loyalty, yeah. 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 So that happened. Um, it was like a three day tournament. We played there three times. Put their ass three times. And then I came back home. I told them, I was like, listen, I'm not sign with them. Tell them to hurry up and send me the stuff. They were slow playing until about October, November time. Jermaine Forbes was out there already. Okay. So I get, so I get out there. We're playing, we're playing. Um, he was like, I know you can score, but we need you for defense. Okay, this this is wasn't what we agreed to, but you're the coach. Um, so I'm he got me as a defensive stop. Um, we played Benfica in Benfica. Uh, some some something Cook, I can't remember his first name, but he used to play for Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, and I hold him to about oh, Omar Cook. Is it Omar Cook? I thought it began with D, like Dequan oh. Cook or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe it's him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I held him down to like 12 points, but he had like eight assists and a couple of rebounds. But I reckon I did a decent job because an NBA player, he's trying to play Euro Cup and all of that and just get buckets. So I held him down. The coach was like, you should have scored more. I was like, well... You've got another small forward who likes to shoot the ball a lot. You've got a power forward that doesn't really like me. <laughs> he just doesn't really like me. I don't know why he didn't like me, but he just didn't. Like me. And we've got no plays that's for me. So I was like, ah, cool. Next game, I'll score more. Next game, I have 29. We got up by 20 going into the third and I sat down the whole fourth. We lost by two. The next get, the next day, the coach pulls me into the office and the GM's like, yeah, we're going to release you. I was like, all right, cool. Um, that's how it goes. Um, 
it's a business and I understand. But I was like, this whole time me and Namo having conversations, he's seen my numbers and he's seen what's happening and he's like, well, they just don't like you or it's a business. And I understand it's a business. So I come home, um, Namo gets on the phone, he calls up Paul James of the Worcester Wolves and I'm at Worcester within a few days. And I'm back in the BBR now. Yeah. Uh, did you feel uh, disappointed that your stint over uh, in Europe had kind of come to an end and you were back in the BBR? Or did you feel all right about it? Were you just looking for a better I opportunity? Right um, I was all right about it. I didn't want to play in the lower leagues, but that was the Portugal top league. And they, we were going against Euro Cup teams, like Porto and Benfica. Um, but I was all right playing in the BBO because I knew I'll be able to do more for my city in my country. Yeah. So playing in the BBO, um, Worcester was a crazy year. Um, I had a few decent games. Um, that led to me signing to Newcastle. So I signed to Newcastle. We won the cup, got to the playoff finals and lost. Signed to Cheshire. This che- uh, and uh, we won the BBL Cup again. So I think I'm the first person to do it back to back with two different teams. Okay. But the run is mad. So I tell you the run. First team we played, I think it was Bristol. I'm not too sure. Beat Bristol, and then the next team up is Newcastle, who I played for. Beat Newcastle on the buzzer here, buzzer beater. Beat Newcastle. Next up is London, who I played for. London came to us and whooped us by like 12, 13 points. So we had to go to London and win by more than they beat us because it's the aggregate score, yeah. total score. We, I don't know if people remember this, but there was a snow day a few years ago and it was really slow. Like they shut down everything. Okay. That was the day we had to go to London. <laughs> so people were worried about if we're even going to make it. We eventually get there 10 minutes late. They give us 15 minutes to warm up. I'm like, oh my goodness. It's not only do we have to beat London, they have Justin, they have possibly the best, one of the best British point guards, and they're, they're in London, crowd, everything. Yeah. We also have to beat them with a 10-minute warm-up now. <laughs> so basically they gave us 15 minutes from when we walked in. So we walked in, got changed, warmed up, did two, I made two layups, Two right hand lay right hand layups and layup lines, and then that was it. Came out whooped their ass, but <laughs> a lot of people got fired after that game. <laughs> a lot of people got fired. Um, then in the final, we had to play Worcester, another team that I played for. Wow! So it was literally playing against all your um, former teams on the run to the onto the run to the title. That's mad, and never even never run, even clocked. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we played Worcester. Um, I had a little highlight play there, but I didn't play too well the whole game. That was the step. Was that was when you had the step back. Yeah, the little crossover. Yeah. 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 Made the guy fall over. Um, playing against OVC. OVC was the man in Worcester then. He was getting like 20, 20 assist games regularly. So he was thinking, ah, this is easy with. So, because we were the underdogs the whole thing, the whole way. And Worcester's about 40 minutes from Birmingham, NEC, or whatever they call it now. So we played there, we went. I lift up the trophy. It was a good day. <laughs> what do you think it allowed? Was a really good what day. do you like? You said you you guys were massive underdogs. Like, what do you think it was that allowed you to have such success in that competition? Um, it's because it's it's one game. It really, really, was it's it's one game. It comes down to one game. So the Newcastle, we stayed in it the whole game. And we gave ourselves a chance to win at the end. Um, I don't know whether it was a foul or not, but the referees didn't call it, so it wasn't. But our point guard might have pulled Kai Williams a little bit as Fab tried to pass it to him. So he got the steal. I happened to be breaking out. So point guard passed it to me. I made a layup. If you're, if you're in and around the game at the end, you never know what can happen. Yeah. The London game, I was just hitting shots. I think I hit an one three point or two. Uh, it, it was meant to be, I think. Yeah, just one of them ones. So yeah, that brings us uh, to London City Rules, um, which you were one of the few players that was kind of the holdover from, from both seasons. You did both, well, a season and a half. Uh, obviously, we know ultimately what ended up happening. But let's just, uh, I'll be interested to kind of hear your take on when you first heard about um, the formation of the London City Royals, like what was going on, uh, who contacted you, how you ended up signing and kind of how you were feeling about, I guess, what they were trying to do? So, no more contact. No more was like, yeah, we've got something big happening. Um, I've got these investors and they're putting together a team in London and I want you to be a part of it. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. This is what I'd waited for. Uh, a chance to play in London, to start building my own brand correctly and doing what I wanted to do and that's help my community. So I was like, sure, of course I'd play. Um, so they told me the investors and I was like, all right. So because these guys are business savvy, they could help me set up my own business so I could start off at the back of the Commonwealth Games which we forgot to mention yeah, yeah. Um, that, that Cheshire year I played for the, in the Commonwealth Games which I think I played like a bum so we'll skip past that <laughs> so on the back of the Commonwealth Games I tried to I don't want to say I tried to monetize playing for the Commonwealth Games but I tried to leverage use it. the influence yeah to then go into schools to create a basketball tournament, which is what I originally wanted to do if I made it to the NBA, my land, create youth hubs, create basketball. So this is just a different way of doing it. Yeah. I wanted to build a name, a brand, build a name for myself, get into schools, create a basketball 
grassroots level where we could then improve the game from the grassroots, get them into basketball earlier so we could have better players or just get more recognition. So uh, they helped me create my own business. I then used that to go into schools. I went into uh, approach Hackney Council and they gave me a grant to go into schools. I did that. Uh, I put it on my Instagram. I created a website. And then I did it with South London too. So I tried to... This is all while playing. Yeah. Trying to set up... I don't want to call it a foundation, but I tried to set up a foundation so that when I do stop playing, I could generate income and help the basketball community, which is what I, like I've said numerous times. Um, but yeah, playing playing with my guys for the, with the London City Royals was fun. Um, I got to play with LVC, Ed, Matt, Ash, Jules, all of them. And them. It was just it was a, it was a real British core that obviously you all knew each other going but way back and had spent you know a lot of summers playing whether it's in um, the Pro Classic or, or Midnight Madness or whatever other summer event kind of uh, you kind of all had those relationships so it must have just been like playing with a bunch of well just playing with all your friends right yeah playing with guys that you've known uh, and the coach Junior Williams um, he he's demanding too so it was all it was all of demanding but. That could also be bad too because you're so familiar with somebody. You might like, oh, whatever, man. Yeah. Instead of, yes, coach, yes, coach. Oh, yes. Things might get taken personally because you've known someone for so long. You should know their tendencies and blah, blah, blah. But luckily, for the most part, that didn't happen. How did you... You ended up winning the trophy. Yeah, I was going to say, like, obviously, there was the trophy win. Um when you reflect on that that season, that season specifically, uh, kind of what are the standout memories for you, and and how do you, how would you evaluate the season? Do you feel like you lived up to expectations? Of course, being a first year franchise and doing that was pretty historic as well. Um, or do you feel like you could have you could have done better? Um, I feel as though we could have done better. Um, well, in saying that, we still done really good. We still done really well. Um, yeah, I feel as though we could have done better. But with a British core and I reckon we had a decent hype around us, people were just out for us because in the basketball community, I think people don't like the fact that I don't want to say people shot are extroverts. There you go. People don't like flamboyant extroverts. And that's how London City Royals came into the game, being flamboyant and being an extrovert. People want to be respectful, introverted, more like the British. If you you compare Britain to America, people tend to be more reserved in the British. And Americans, and people say, oh, Americans are so over the top and this and that. And that's just the way that we are as a people. So whenever we don't conform to that, people just dislike it. Yeah. 
Yeah, because there was the, there was the it was the whole it was the whole force for change thing, wasn't it? So there was like this whole thing about sort of transforming British basketball, and I definitely there was definitely negative comments around that where people felt there was an arrogance, which again, like you say, it's not even necessarily an arrogance. It's like, well, what do you want them to do? Come in and say we're really aspiring to be a mediocre basketball team? Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, in, in America, I think that would be way way better received <laughs> than in the UK, where it, it kind of got to a point where it was funny, even though I I felt like. You did have, you, you uh, did have support from people that would never have previously gone to BBL games, like from their personal relationships with you guys or whatever, like that they wanted to come and watch you guys. So I did think that, they, that there, would, there was a level of tapping into a new fan base. Um, there was also definitely people that were rooting for your downfall, you know, that didn't want to see the team succeed, that felt uh, kind of weird about it. Yeah, from from day one, there was like, oh, this team lost. One season, two seasons, five seasons, all of this, all of that. And ultimately, I guess they were right, but they weren't right because of they knew the ins and outs. They were right through the hate. And it's, it's, just, it's just sad to see, man. Yeah. It's sad to see that people would rather um, people lose their jobs than see a team be successful. And just because and people are a bit over the top or they're not to your liking. Let's, let's use that. They're not to your liking. So, And it's not to your liking because of anything in particular, just because they don't feel conform into the, into the norm. Yeah. When you, I assume that when you first signed with London City Royals, because obviously, like you just said, there was a whole part of building your own business and building a sort of base to be able to transition into when you stopped playing. The intention was to be there for multiple years and sort of play out the rest of your career there. Yeah. Um, so initially, I signed a two-year deal. Um, other people signed two years, one year, three years. Um, I'll leave them to tell their story because it's not for me to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, that's what I signed: two years um, on a base that if we do well, I'll get an, a contract extension for another two or three. And then that's where I want to end up. And that's where I want to finish playing. So when when the second season started um, and some of the guys weren't there, I was a bit worried. Yeah. But like I said, I understand it's a business because I've been through it. So my business is my business. Their business is their business. Yeah. So I carried on with my business. Um, and ultimately started playing for and not getting paid Um, and then when that was so the money was running out and then the business had to close well I forget the term the specific term it's not bankruptcy it's Liquidation. Liquidation. Yeah. Yes. Business had to go into liquidation, so that happened. Um, what, what was yeah. the, what was the conversation like? What was the communication like with you guys uh, around that whole situation? Because it, it was obvious to everyone on the outside uh, as that season. Well, so just for context, for people, of course, during during that off season, um, Nama and Junior were, were kind of like let go from from the organisation. Again, don't want to speculate on on anything that happened. Now, I'd like to kind of have them on at some point and actually discuss that. Um, and so uh, Lloyd Garden was brought in as the, as the new head coach, and it was clear that there was it was going to be 
it was going to be it's almost like uh, the owner was trying to start afresh um and then as the season went on it started becoming apparent that like there was there was a game that was missed wasn't there i think that was the first sort of big one where it was like a, fi- a fixture wasn't fulfilled uh and then there was kind of all these rumors going around about players not getting paid and stuff but like what was the communication with you like were you guys aware like were you being told you know we're on real shaky ground at the moment we don't know if we've got enough money to to do this thing like or was it just a case of like you were just showing up and not getting paid and just waiting to be told or what was going on so it was like that we we wasn't we didn't know what was going on and i told i personally told the owner listen if you don't be transparent if you're not going to be transparent people are going to start disliking you yeah so be transparent let us know so we could either do things, put things in place, or just leave. Um, and a lot of it was falling on Lloyd too, because Lloyd is our point of call, and he was getting getting the air full from left, right, everywhere. So I put I took it upon myself to talk to the owner. Like, listen, be transparent. Let us know if you're not going to pay us. Let us know if you're going to pay us short. Let us know you're going to pay us late. But don't just do nothing and say nothing because then people feel as though you're taking a piss. Yeah. So after that conversation, and I think that was in November, he started telling us, all right, guys, you might be paid late or it might be a little bit short. And then it got to the point where we went to training and he came and sat us down and was like, listen, I'm going to have to put the business into liquidation. Um, it's not a viable option anymore. We we had some investors pull out and it, was, and it is what it is. Essentially, that's me just paraphrasing. Yeah. What... Uh... Like, what was your guys' reaction like to hear that the club had folded? Like, was it on the cards for a few days beforehand? Like, you kind of knew it was coming and then it was just a confirmation sort of, were you already starting to look at other options where you could potentially sign? Like, yeah. Well, whenever you're not getting paid your full thing, your full wage, you look, you find out why. And if it's a money issue, then you, you try and make arrangements so that if something was to happen, you're okay. Yeah. So I had started making those arrangements. I was thinking, all right, if this could happen in basketball, then I must, I've got to probably find a secure job where I could provide for my family because at the time, my lady's pregnant. So I'm thinking, all right, cool. Let me, use my business to become a full-time coach in a school. So that's what I've done. And in doing that, I've spoken to a few D1 teams that are local-ish to me so I could train in the evenings and still play. And one of the teams that I spoke to was Essex. So I said, listen, this was early, this was probably in like November. I was like, if anything happens with the Royals, I would want to sign with you guys. Mm. So I told them that and they were like, ah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wicked. We could do that. I hadn't seen their record at the time because I thought it was still the the Essex Leopards that Laddie and David 
still played for. And I was like, all right, cool. It happened. And I was like, all right, cool. Remember, when I, remember what I said back in November? I'm here now. Let's see what's going on. One in 16? What's going on here? <laughs> I was like, oh. So I helped them win a few games, um, remain in D1, and ultimately keep their, without knowing what was happening, what was going to happen in March 20, whatever, keep their program playing this year and helping them merge with Oakland Wolves yeah. or Oakland College. So um, I spoke to their owner about that day and he was like, yeah, it still would have happened. But I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I believe it. <laughs> and so coming through uh, to this season, obviously you, you've signed with Solent uh, and you're doing, you're doing the commute, right? You're travelling down from London. Yes, yes. How, how's that been? Is it is it manageable? Yeah, it's manageable. Um, they gave me a work vehicle and a fuel card, so I don't really have to pay for fuel to get there. Yeah. Um, it's about an hour and a half. Um, and I was thinking to myself, in an hour and a half, I could get to the other side of London. So to get to Southampton in an hour and a half isn't too shabby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I swear, in London, we all we all take for granted. Like, it's like there's an assumption that if you're travelling somewhere in London, it's going to take at least an hour, and you just don't think about the fact that that's actually quite a long time to get somewhere. Do you know what I mean? That's a whole hour. <laughs> that's a long, very long time. So if I use that and just add a bit more, like thirty minutes, yeah. And now podcasts are booming and all of this. So I listen. I don't even listen to music. I listen to podcasts. Yeah. I, so if you've got any podcasts you can recommend, yeah. hint, hint. <laughs> I can recommend plenty, the, the one we're on right now. Um, exactly. how, how has that experience been uh, playing with Solon? Obviously, you know, the thing we've heard consistently, you know, they've been an incredible run. You had a tough tough loss at the weekend. Was it, it was this weekend just gone, wasn't it? Was it this weekend just gone? Yeah, uh, this weekend. Yeah. Um, which kind of brought an end to a, two years of, of domination uh, for the program. And kind of there's all these questions about why don't they play in the BBL and, you know, too good for Division 1 and blah, blah, blah. How, how has the experience been for you uh, playing for that program? And kind of, yeah, I guess, you know, is there any part of you that feels like um, outside of Thames Valley, you are just blowing everybody out? Um, I feel as though the competition is the competition. We set the bar high through preparation. So everyone's going to have their players. Everyone's going to have their guys that do whatever. But if you prepare for the other team and you prepare to shut down what they're used to or what they could get, then it's going to be difficult for teams to win. And we play a style which is run and gun. If you want to play with us, then you could run up the score too. But that's how we play. We run and gun. We shut down their offences. So it seems like we're blowing teams out. But it's really preparation. Yeah. And what would you say about the programme as a whole? Like, Obviously, we hear lots of things about kind of how, how well it's run. Has, has your experience been very positive? Like, kind of, yeah, what would you say about that? Yeah, it's, it's run extremely well. Um, the guys that are in charge... They, they actually care about basketball. They they send messages to players whenever you played well. 
messages, keep your head up whenever you've not played well. Yeah. Um, the schedules dealt weekly, so we know what times we have the gym and what times we can shoot. Everything's run systematically and they've got a good relationship with Solent University, which is why it works out so well. And I feel as though in British basketball, if you have, a, unless you have your own facility, you need to have a great relationship with the university for things to work out really well. Yeah, yeah, for real. Um, how have you found uh, playing for, for Matt Guyman? Playing for Matt is really cool. Like, he, let, he lets us rock, basically. He lets us do what we do. He prepares us well for the game. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's my mate. I've known him for a while. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, how, how like, like you, you kind of alluded to it with the London City Royals, where when, you, when you're very familiar with people, it then makes it a bit weird when you're in a professional relationship with them because it's like, what is the line? What, what the barrier is like? Have you found that with Matt, or do you feel like it's kind of clear when you've got that coach player relationship? I think I, uh, we've made it clear because whenever we're playing, then it's business. Yeah. Whenever we're not playing, then it's friendship. Yeah. And that's that because the lines are so clear and is in black and white, then it could work out. Sometimes I may I may be a bit goofy and do something stupid, but I will lock in straight away. Yeah. And if it's one person doing it, then it's fine. But if it's 10, 10 guys being goofy all at once, then you've just lost everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. When uh, when it came to making a decision on signing this season, like, of course, you know, the talk of the town, especially at the start of the year, was the, was the London Lions um, and obviously them securing budget and, uh, well, investment, new ownership and trying to go into Europe and everything else. Like, you know, that is your, your local team. Um, is that something that potentially you would like to do and make a return to the Lions in the BBL? Uh, or do you feel like kind of now you're happy you're happy at Solent for however many years until you know how many years do you reckon you got left how many years do you see yourself playing uh it depends on how how healthy i keep myself in the off season yeah because it's not when i'm playing i'm playing and i'm fine it's the off season that gets a lot of people because well the last lockdown i put on a lot yeah i don't know if you saw not many people saw me nah. because we were in a lockdown but i put on a lot of weight <laughs> yeah so, um, getting back to a playing weight, and that was that was. It, I wouldn't say it was difficult, but it was time consuming. Yeah, as you get older, it's not quite as easy, is it? Metabolism yeah. slows down, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, playing for the London Lions, it nearly happened this season, actually. Yeah. Okay. What was what, what, yeah. what happened? Where did it not? What, what where did it not align? They sent they sent me the contract and everything. Right. I signed, I signed one page and then sent it back. And then he sent it and then Vince sent it back to me. He's like, oh, you got to sign another page. And then as I was going to sign it, um, Lloyd Gardner called me. Like, so I've got a phone where I could, I could take out a pen and sign it with the pen. Yeah. So as I'm signing it, like I put the O. <laughs> then I see Lloyd Gardner's name pop up. So I answered the phone. He was like, yeah, um, we doing the season. I'm just signing for the Lions, literally, as we speak. And he was like, what about Solon? I was like, what about Solon? Like, oh, might be a good fit for you. Just, just give them a call, see what it's like. So I gave him a call, made the offer. 
I mean, they didn't match the Lions with the angle the Lions budget. But with what I want to do outside of basketball, it was a better fit. Really? Why? Why is that? Like to hear that it's less money and it's outside of London, you would think that it's definitely not a better fit. Like what about it makes it a better fit for you? They train in the evenings. So I have the day uh, to do whatever I need to. Okay. Whether, whether that be hanging out with my son, whether that be working on my business, yeah. whether that be bettering myself in any other way, it gives me the time to do it. Because yeah. they train in the evening. So from about 6 till about 11, I am work on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm at basketball. So, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Sometimes Saturday and Sunday, depending on when we have games. I have the time to do what I need to do to become a better person, become a better father, become a better partner. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Is there any part of you, uh, like, do you feel like that has worked out well for you? Uh, or kind of looking at the Lions and obviously the hype that they've received? And, I mean, of course, the European thing actually never ended up happening. So, you know, maybe that's a, that's a, a blessing in disguise by not having, having not signed there. Because I'm assuming that would have been one of the reasons that, that that's, it makes it an enticing offer, right? Um, but, th- yeah, has it worked out kind of how you envisaged? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't want to talk about the Lions because that whole situation is was a mess. I, I'm, I'm rooting for the Lions. I want the Lions to win. Yeah. Like, my guys, Joe Kim, uh, we went Juco together. He knows what I'm on. I know what he's on. He's the captain there. I, that, I know it's my first professional team. Like, I want the Lions to win. Like, I want them to be in Europe. So, whenever that happened, I was devastated for them. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm for them. Yeah, yeah. If we have a team in Europe, the league is better. Whenever Leicester was in there, I was rooting for Leicester, even though I'm in the league. So yeah. I wanted Leicester to smash everybody up. Yeah. And then when they play me, they lose. That's what I wanted to have. Yeah. But like it was it was upsetting. Um but yeah, it's worked out because I'm in a school coaching now, um, passing on the knowledge and I'm trying to set up games between other schools. But it's just impossible with these COVID restrictions and risk assessments and all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say how how is the sort of the building that that base that you're trying to build before you end up stepping away from the game, like building your business and stuff. Like, how has that been going? It's going well. It's going well, man. Um, I, I have furloughed myself though, so okay. Has receiving it... some money from the government. Yeah, because I can't work in schools because. Yeah. Schools have been shut. They only just now reopened. Yeah, of course. So yeah, so it's tough times in at the moment. Uh, hopefully, yeah. everything. I think everyone's kind of rooting for um, a return to to normality at, at some point. Before we before we start looking to wrap up, just uh, I guess a, a broader question, just on 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 British basketball in general. Um, I'd be kind of interested to kind of hear your overall take on on how things have been doing. So you know, for you as a player, having spent uh, so many seasons around um, the game here uh, at every different level from whether it's GB to the BBL to Division 1 to obviously the summer scene. Like, um, you know, what would you say about kind of British basketball? Do you feel like things have been improving over the years? Do you feel like uh, there's still a lot of room for improvement? Kind of what would be your, your overall take on the, the state of the game here? So 
when I was first in the league, way back when Desmond was on in 2012, we had Sky games regularly. People don't, I don't know if people remember that or they just want to forget it, but we were on Sky regularly. Like, it was, it was, it was good. Like, it was on the up. Then I don't know what happened. And when I came back, it was the BBC Red Button. And now we're back to Sky, which is good. So from when I started playing to now, it's gone down and then come back up to a level. I just feel as though we need to put more players back into the business, back into the business side of basketball and mix the, the business-minded people with the players so they go in the right direction. Yeah. Because if it's business-minded people, business only care about business. The players care about the game. Combine them two, and we have probably a recipe for success. Yeah. It may not be right, because with basketball players, they, they're not... They might be business-minded inclined, but they might not be. So they might have an idea. Oh, I want 60,000 people at games. Well, a business-minded person, all right, let's see how we can get to that and then create the steps and, and then hopefully can make something work. Because with British basketball, there's not one answer that will make everything work. It's not just, all right, and now we're there. It's got to be multiple things at multiple levels happening simultaneously. It's a very complex issue. Very complex. I think people try and simplify it way too much. I always say it's it's almost like the perfect perfect storm of a multiple of a multitude of different factors that all come together to kind of create the whole situation. And yeah, there's no way that yeah you fix one thing, it fixes everything else. It's like everything. There's various different things that all need to kind of need to be fixed on on the same level at the same time. But yeah, on the business and the business and basketball thing, I, I totally agree with you there. I definitely think that we've either got people that are bit the basketball people that know nothing about business or we've got business people that know nothing about basketball and so uh actually you know trying to grow the game ultimately the biggest thing that's going to make a difference is having having the funding to be able to put resources into the game right um and that's only going to happen by being entrepreneurial and and business smart so yeah super super interesting um Okay, I've got some quick fire questions for you uh, as we begin to wrap up. We're coming on an hour and a half here, so I don't, I don't want to go too long. Um, and we're going to start with, uh, what is your favourite basketball memory? My favourite basketball memory is not even my basketball memory. Somebody else. Vince Carter? So, I've got two, actually. I've got two. Okay. One is Kawhi Leonard and one is Vince Carter. So, this was in about 2005. Vince Carter dunked the hell out of Alonzo Mourning. I remember I started screaming. This is like, remember, NBA comes on at like one o'clock our time. Yeah. So I've jumped up. I'm hollering and screaming. Oh, my goodness. Did anybody just see that? And then my mum wakes up. What's going on? Are we being burgled? I was like, no, mum. Vince Carter just dunked at somebody. She threw something at me. She came downstairs and threw something at me. I was like, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. That's one. Yeah. And the second one was the Game 7 winner from Kawhi Leonard. I've never seen that. I've never seen a Game 7 game winner. That was a beauty. I don't think many people have. Nah. That was, uh, yeah, that was the photo. It, the photo is amazing. 
the, the, of that moment where it's bouncing on a room and you can just look at all the different reactions everywhere. It's kind of just, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Um, I don't think anyone... Has there ever been a Game 7 buzzer beat a game winner? Uh, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head, but I just, if, it, if, if there has been, it was very, very rare. Uh, so, the rarest. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so uh, best coach you've ever played for? The best coach I've ever played for? Hmm. It's a difficult one because played for a lot of coaches. <laughs> Let's say my high school coach is my best coach. What was it about them that separated him? Um, so Coach Huggins, he essentially let everybody play to their strengths and it's kind of similar to Lloyd he didn't want to insult people by saying alright that's not your strength he would say right, who's better at certain things are you a better dribbler than a point guard no right. are you better rebounder than a point guard yes alright so let's do that yeah. you dribble, he dribbles you rebound and do it. Because I reckon coaching, as much as coaching is about X's and O's, it's about player management. 100%. Does it, you if, can, yeah, you can know all the X's and O's, but if you can't get the players yeah. to actually play for you, you've got no hope, right? If you can't manage certain people's personalities and connect with them, then it's difficult to coach. Yeah. The best British player that you've played with or against? The best British player that I've played with. The best British player that I've seen play and played against is probably Joel Freeland. Yeah, good shout. When did you play against him? Um, Hosanna tournament during Christmas one time. Oh, wow. Need to dig up all that old footage. There must be so much gems in there. Um, oh, yeah, sure. The best individual performance that you've ever witnessed? The best individual performance... Hmm. I saw well, KD come to practice at our university because when I graduated, it was the lockout year. Yeah, okay. So they couldn't get in their gyms, so they, they would come to our gym and practice. That may have been, that was MVP KD too. Regular season MVP. That was the best individual performance I'd seen. This man just didn't miss. <laughs> But he was playing against college kids instead of NBA defenders. So yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the times it's, it's so easy to forget that there is no scrubs in the NBA. Do you know what I mean? Like it's only when you see them against yeah. sort of regular civilians. I don't know if you saw that clip that was going viral the other day of Brian Scalabrini, like last a few weeks ago, playing against some random, and he just gives him work, and he's overweight and he's out of shape, but he's still giving guys work. You know, and it's yeah, it's crazy. People. Forget. It was eleven zip, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys are just next level. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and then, finally, for you, sort of the future, like the next three to five years, um, you know, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? Um, hopefully, I'm still playing if I treat my body right. Um, raising my son to be a great member of society. Um, and hopefully, I'll have a couple basketball teams um, teaching the next generation how to play the game right and just how to be a decent human being that's the, that's the plan 
That is a perfect uh, place to leave it. Orlan, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it is much appreciated. And hopefully uh, at some point this summer uh, during the, or during the rest of the season, uh, our puzzle will cross and we'll see each other in person. Definitely, man. Take care, sir. Psst. Hey, podcast listener. Bet you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now. Uh, open up your podcast player. Go to the Hoops Fix podcast. You'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.